This is Robert Dunsing, and thank you for tuning in today to Kansas City Food Memories. I'm live every Saturday at 10 a.m. to take a stroll down memory lane and talk about the good old days. We share stories about our favorite restaurants, food, people, and places. Last week was a lot of fun with Richard McPeak. He was a former chef and chef trainer with Gilbert Robinson. And if you remember, um, you can also, if you did not catch that, you can go and listen to the podcast on any podcast platforms, just search for Kansas City Food Memories. We had some good stories about some of the restaurant, about some of the restaurants, the themes, and the recipes that hopefully he's going to help me work on. Now, this show is made possible because of your support of Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. My wife Sherry and I absolutely love Kansas City and view this show as a natural extension of our bakery and cafe. If you have not yet done so, this will be a good time to put this phone number into your phone. It's nine one three. Five eight six seven seven nine eight, and just so you know, that is the f- call-in line, and it's also the text line for the show for KMBZ. So if you don't want to uh, interrupt the show, the flow of the questions and the things like that, you're welcome to text in a question or a comment, or if you want to correct something that we said, you're more than welcome to do that. And so put that into your phone. That's going to be the easiest way to do that. Now, if you follow me on Facebook and or signed up for my email newsletter at makethemsmile.com, you know that I teased today's show saying that I will have the family historian of the founder of Smacks on my radio show. Now, you got to understand, I'm having a lot of fun with this show. I, I, I pay for this show. It's done for fun. I talk about the restaurant just a little bit, but it's really about sharing stories among friends. You know, we all long for the good old days, but what I've really... My goal in the show is to identify what that means. What are the good old days? And what can we do to prolong what we have today that 10 years from now we're going to miss if it's gone? So that's really the focus of what we have. So the, my guest today is Susan Fielder. And the reason I found her is a good friend of mine, Jim Eddy. He's a guest on the show several times. And he said, you really need to talk about smacks. Ever, it's come up several times on the show. And he goes, Susan is the, actually the family historian for the, uh, one of the founders of Smacks. So, Rocco, do we have Susan on the line? Susan, are you yes. there? I am. I'm, I am. Well, Happy to be here today. Well, good. Well, I'm glad you're here. It was, it was a little, uh, there were some concerns among the family, apparently. I don't know if you heard about this, but I got a phone call from somebody that said, what in the world are you doing a show on <laughs> Smacks with a family story? And he goes, my family's involved, and I don't know what you're talking about. And he was he was upset. <laughs> and he was and I said, well, I said, I'm terrible with names. Let me go look that up. Who am I talking to? And he gave me his name. And, he, and I said, well, I'm pretty sure. I said, let me, that you have the same last name. He goes, well, that's not possible. And so I, so I pulled it up. And I said, well, Susan Fielder. And he goes, well, that's my sister. He goes, how are you talking to her? And I said, well, it's called a telephone. He goes, oh, okay. Well, I guess, I guess that's okay then. <laughs> it's like, well, thank you. I'm glad I have your permission to talk to your sister, Susan. So, so what is your tie to the family? What, what is my tie to the yeah. family? I, I am the uh, only daughter of five, uh, with five brothers, and one just sadly uh, passed away recently. And uh, we also had a, 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 I had a sister named Vivian Lee that died of crib death at three months. But my father, Bill Fielder, was married to Guy Nell Fielder, and her her father Wayne Jones and my father were co-owners of the first Allen's Drive-In in 1944. Okay, so that's kind of where it all began. So that was your and grandfather. 
Yes, Wayne Earl Jones. Okay, and uh, were, were they related? Just by marriage. From okay. my, he had two daughters, Guynell Fielder and Dottie, Dottie Jones. Okay. Well, it was Guynell Jones. Before. I thought I'd heard somewhere that um, that was his father-in-law. So good. So they started Allen's Drive-In yeah. together. And that, was a, mm-hmm. and that was in 1944. And what kind of a, uh, what set them apart was that? That wasn't hamburgers. What was that, barbecue? That was barbecue. And actually, it's very interesting about that story in that it was an old building that was vacated in 1938. So I've read in my father's archives. Um, but the one thing was there, there was a barbecue pit. And the name of it was Allen's, but they couldn't afford to uh, change the name because they during the war, I guess the neon wasn't available. But if it was, it was very expensive. So they kept the name Allen's. <laughs> so they decided to uh, start their journey together. My father's mother was um, a, a lot. We didn't know her because she passed away when dad was 13 years old in a car accident, but she owned Fielder Realty in Springfield, Ohio, from which he, for which he was uh, raised. And all right, Susan, how long did Allen's drive-in um, last? Um, well, it, it was ballpark. it was a part of Smacks. Caters Incorporated was created years later, but Smacks and Allen's were under that umbrella. Right. And I have a great article about how we did. Um, okay, well, I was just curious because I don't remember getting many calls or any calls about Allen's Drive-In, but we've heard a lot about, about Smacks. Okay, well, Allen's Drive-In really was how we were able to create Smacks. Right, but that was it, that was just the one location? No, they had over 11. Uh, of the Allen's? Of Allen's. Yeah, oh, okay. they were 89, 89th and State Line was probably one of the most successful and they they got had a 25-year lease that they obtained um and they were building ward parkway and rocker school and it was it was the bomb as a matter of fact i remember when sandra eddie jimmy's younger sister at 16 was going half days and dad hired her to be the teletray operator and she brought all her friends from shawnee mission east and it was just hysterical. I mean, everybody just loves Sandra, right, so, and they all come see her. All right, Susan, so, hold on. So for the listeners out there, my text line is 913-586-7798. So if you have any specific memories of Allen's Drive-In or early, early memories of Smacks, go ahead and text that in. I'll squeeze that in as I can. So they decided to, um, I think, if I remember right, I think my, the very first McDonald's opened in, like, 1950. One or fifty-two. It was fifty-five, and it was in Chicago. Hmm. It was in Illinois, and then and then I just read this yesterday because I was kind of researching myself. But the one that Dad and um, Grandfather went to, and I'll tell you how that happened. My mother and my grandmother had the same birthday, and they came out to Palm Springs, and Dad and Grandfather decided to drive over to Riverside and see what. McDonald's was all about and they saw the golden arches and they saw the the very lean and mean walk up and pick up your food and you're out of there and Smacks was just about to be built and they they actually did not do the golden arches but they added these 
long L-shaped, that my brother Wes calls them a green lightning, um, bars that were in the front of Smacks. And you can see some of those renditions uh, on the Internet. But that's kind of what happened is they basically copied McDonald's and said, we can do our own. And that's what they did. And it, it was uh, very successful. What happened? One day, Dad was at the opening. He was wondering why he wasn't getting anybody to turn in. And it was on Johnson Drive. I'm trying to find the actual address, but people will remember this. Well, that's all right. We don't need the actual address. Okay. So what, well, anyway, what, he, what year did they yeah. open that first one on Johnson Drive? 1955 is what I have written down here. And I know that Llewellyn's probably have a lot of different facts than I do because... Yeah. Okay, well, um, well, Susan, I know you live in California, so you don't get to listen to the show. The, the, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, the, this isn't National Geographic or a, a historical show where we worry about the actual dates, days, and specific number of address. We're more focused on the stories, the memories, the things that we look back on fondly. Yeah, on well, th- this is a this is a fond memory about about the elephants. I I I, I know that Dad was um, um, real excited about the opening of this and that he was pondering on how are we going to get people to stop by? And he went to the peanut, which everybody knows in Kansas city and ran into a zookeeper and he was telling him about smacks and what he was doing. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I've got an idea. Why don't I bring in an elephant? And dad said, great. And he gave him $50 and, and they, they were off to get the elephant. And that's what happened. People were, there's, you know, stopping and watching all these cars out in front and wondering what in the world is going on and why is there an elephant in the middle of, a, of, of the town and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, that was probably one of the greatest stories that happened with Dad always did something that was unique and different. So the elephant, get, did that was that the beginning? Was there an ongoing thing with the zoo? What What's the story behind no, Smacky the did, Seal? He would always do different things. Like one weekend, he had all these little, he had six little race cars, and children could get in these race cars and just drive around. They're tiny ones, you know, for younger children. I mean, things that never would happen these days because of insurance purposes, but he was always bringing different things and trying to attract with different ideas. So um, that's all I remember. I just know that there was never a dull moment. Well, well, good. So when they um, so they had the first smacks there on Johnson Drive. How long did it take before they expanded to more than one location? Gosh, I'm trying to remember all that. Um, I know that Uncle Ted joined the family. He was in the the Navy in Pensacola, married Aunt Dottie, and they really were starting to grow and needed help. And he was offered to to join the family, even though he was committed as a Navy man, he came back, and I know that he opened Topeka, Kansas, and um, they they just started opening in all different parts of the city and expanded that way, all on their own. So Caters Incorporated was created so they could create all of the food and all the funds, and that was op- that was opened in uh, I guess nineteen. 19- 60, there was a $500,000 facility that was headquartered um, on Van Brunt Extension and south of 45th Street. So they had um, 
Allen's. They had 20 Allen's and Smacks drive-ins at that time in Topeka, Leavenworth. And um, this is a 30,000-square-foot building where they brought in all of the vendors first, the first day. And um, it said that in 15 years, they did 32 million hamburgers. And uh, they had quite a, a business going at that time. They, the Caters Inc. prepared government-inspected meat for their hamburgers by using the entire beef carcass, including sirloins, T-bones, Kansas City strips, and other quality cuts. They also had their own bakery uh, for the hamburger buns as part of a quality control endeavor, which resulted in yeah, all were, the... Were you around back then, or how old were you when that was going on? Well, I was about 12 at that time. Okay. That's That sounds like a pretty big deal. Were there very many other local chains that big, that organized? No, not at all. And matter of fact, and this article really helped me understand what their vision was. Um, but what one thing it says that the new plant uh, here is the first step in a program of expansion for the next four years involving more than $6 million. Visitors to the facility tour toured the large coolers, freezers, space, bakery, steam cooking, canning, and, and bottling divisions. So, I mean, honestly, this article is a, a wonderful um, backdrop for really what happened um, once Caters Incorporated started building a platform to facilitate all of the restaurants that were expanding. Okay, Susan, so last week I had a guest on that was... Um uh, Richard McPeak that was talking about Gilbert Robinson and how they changed the restaurant scene nationwide. Are you yeah. aware of the tie of what the relationship with Gilbert Robinson was with Smacks? Well, I can tell you that Bill Gilbert was a very good friend of dad's and, and grandfather, and he actually ran the, one of the Allens at the beginning. That was a job that he took on and that, that's when they became really good friends. And then Gilbert Robertson started, and I'm trying to think of all my notes here because um, I kind of wrote a lot of this down last night, and I've got every page. Yeah, because yeah, I had heard that both of them had worked in the SMACS organization before going off and starting Gilbert Robinson. Oh, they sure did, and uh, that was that was a wonderful thing. I mean, Bill Bill Gilbert lived right down the street from us. We had. Um, started out on 69th Street, then went 67th Street in Prairie Village and ended up at 63rd in Wananga. And the Gilberts lived right down the street. And, and my brother Billy and Joe were best friends and with Mike Hahn Singer. And, you know, we all grew up just knowing all these people. Oh, sure. It was all related to Smack. So um, it was it was wonderful. I'll tell you, we, we just had a blast. We the cousins were so close, and we would go to Allen's Park every summer while Dad and Grandfather and Uncle Ted were building the business. We were riding horses and doing trail rides. they cut fly up on the weekends, and uh, we learned how to square dance, and the cousins were so close, tight-knit. We were always spent Christmas and Thanksgiving together, and it, it was like the best childhood I could ever have dreamed. Oh, that sounds our, amazing. We yeah, it was it was amazing. Yeah, well, what's really interesting is that the Gilbert Robinson restaurants have come up pretty often here, you know, go and talk about Annie Santa Fe and Plaza 3 and all those other restaurants. 
sure. that, that people would talk about how they were the ones who changed the restaurant scene and created, figured out what made the fam, small family restaurant successful and figured out how to duplicate it and spread mm-hmm. it out throughout the chain around the country. But as we dig mm-hmm. into it and we hear stories about that, we hear that Gilbert Robinson, both of them had worked within Smacks. And you're telling oh, the story yeah. about the 1950s, how you mm-hmm. created that huge, uh, your, your grandfather created the huge commissary. Pretty, I mean, that's a pretty good sized building. Oh, no, it was fabulous. It was like eye-opening to me to see what really was happening. And, you know, here I am 70, well, so many years later, reading all this information. And, you know, my father was a storyteller, and he he loved to write things down. And one of the most important things that I have a lot of um, that he did was to do this for me. And the reason... One of the reasons is I decided when my mother and my, well, actually, first my grandmother died, and then my mother passed unexpectedly, and I decided to write a book called What Won't Be in My Will, because everything that that isn't written down won't get passed down. So I encouraged Dad to have an interview with me for the last five years of his life. We ended up meeting at the Rancho Santa Fe Inn in Rancho Santa Fe here in San Diego, and I interviewed him, and I asked him questions, and then I I offered to take him back to Springfield to tell me all about his life before, and I started understanding how he ticks and what 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 happened in, with Smacks and Allens, and why did we in 1960s sell to Grandfather and Uncle Ted and move to Colorado Springs? And um, what really is the whole thing about Bill Fielder is drive and innovation and vision. And I remember Uncle Ted saying he was amazing with all his ideas and he wanted to get bigger and better. And it was a it was a, a pull against his values and beliefs. And I think my grandfather and Uncle Ted, mo- mostly my grandfather, he really liked it just being close and he was kind of the the point man and behind the scenes, very organized. And he had a meatpacking background from Kroger. And uh, he, he and Dad actually met Sam Walton at the time they were growing. And uh, Sam Walton would buy his meats. And Dad and, and uh, Sam or Dad and Grandfather would fly down to Bentonville, Arkansas and uh, go duck hunting with him. And Dad said, I remember when he took us down to the main street in Bentonfield and said, well, this is going to be my first five and dime. <laughs> and, and he said he go, he, he went into the, the store and it was stacked with so much stuff. You could barely get through the aisles and it was just a memory he'll never forget. And then he would come to, uh, Sam would come to Kansas city and we were living at 63rd Monongah. He would stay with us and my bedroom was the best bedroom. So I, go bunk up with my brothers while Sam was in my room. <laughs> but a lot of people came to visit. And one of the things that was really a paradigm shift for my father and Smacks and Allens was his, um, he had gone to Chicago for the Missouri Restaurant Association, representing them as the president. And he met a man named Uli Prager of Movenpick in Switzerland. And Uli was like Baron Hilton. He was the, in Switzerland, he had the most well-known restaurants and eventually hotels all over the world. 
And he was a he became a, a great family friend. And so dad would he said, you know, I think we need to take hamburgers to Switzerland. And of course, everybody laughed and said that that's never going to happen. And dad said, yes, it will. It'll work. I promise it'll work. And so he talked Uli into doing it. And they and I went over um, when I was, I guess, 12 or 13 for the opening of the first Zilberkugel, which meant silver balls. And they were the first restaurant had um, 12 um, of these kind of horseshoes and 18 people could sit around it. It was like going into a diner with those stools and each server would um, have a horseshoe and 18 people and they would be trained by a cassette that was hanging on their shoulder with an earbud that would teach them how to actually serve people and what to say and how to prepare the food and how to take it from the kitchen to, I mean, it was, it was amazing because people did not have quick lunches. They had two-hour lunches and a siesta afterwards. So Well, you Susan, know, I, you know what's interesting on that? I started the show back in January, so it's been roughly 10 months. And one of the uh-huh. things that people find fascinating is how many dots we've been able to connect during the show. So oh, really? what's what's in during this conversation if you look back in time when we when I went to business school and the the papers and all this kind of stuff they talk about mm-hmm. how Ray Kroc he wasn't successful because he invented the hamburger or even made a better hamburger the reason yeah. he was so successful and in the history books is because he created systems on mm-hmm. duplicating the McDonald's experience anywhere in the country and have it be the same quality and what, right and the other thing was that on the separate thing, we hear about Gilbert Robinson playing such a huge role in creating Annie Santa Fe, the Bristol, and all these other restaurants. They kind of did the same thing on hiring restaurants. But then mm-hmm. we find out that Gilbert and Robinson both worked for Smacks. So when, yeah. when you interviewed your dad, what experience did he have that, that led him to be the innovator in creating systems and doing a big commissary to supply all the restaurants to, to, to provide the same quality? Okay, I know that answer, and it's a man he met during his travels and being a part of the Restaurant Association in various cities, and uh, he met a man named Harry Pope out of um, St. Louis, and Harry Pope was the systems man of the world. He um, He had restaurants that were in shopping centers and implants like Ralston Purina and, um, gosh, Falstaff Brewery, Monsanto Chemical, and he would supply in catering form, uh, I mean in a cafeteria form, all of these restaurants. And all the systems that he had, Dad adopted and brought it back to Smacks and pulled it into the commissary. And he learned that you have to have these succinct systems for things to work. Sure. And you have to create your own food and create your own brand. And that was really the foundation that was missing. And then finally it was there. But it all happened when Dad had this vision of going to Switzerland. And we all decided, he decided, to move us all to Colorado Springs. We were going to go to Europe. We all got passports. And being so young, I really don't know what happened except that, the vision that dad had wasn't the same that 
our grandfather had, and I'm not sure about Uncle Ted, because I really wasn't privy to the inside workings. But all of a sudden, we moved from our lodge in in Allen's Park, from being there for a summer, directly into Colorado Springs. And we never said goodbye to our friends in, in Kansas City. All I know is we created what's called the Hasty House, featuring the hamburger that went to Switzerland. And Dad had a whole new journey of over a string of 28 Hasty Houses. Sure. Right. So, so, Susan, so they sold... That or they they sold their share of Smacks. Dad did, yeah, yeah. Dad, your dad, in what sixty one? Yes. Okay, so how much of the growth happened while your dad was still there, and how much of it was after? Well, I believe there were over twenty Smacks and Allens at the time that he left. Okay, and 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 then there were many more that were built uh, after we left, and that's where my cousins can come in, and they were living that environment. I wasn't. I don't really know all the answers, but I do know that the whole family is a wealth of information, and from their own perspective, they have ways to tell the story sure. that can that can empower your show to know even more. Yeah. So, so Susan, in your in conversations with your dad, did he regret selling out of Smacks? Does he did he ever wish he had stayed and helped grow that, or was he glad he went off and did all the new things that he did? Well, there was a lot of sadness, um, I'll tell you, because we loved our cousins and we loved our family and we loved our grandparents. And all of a sudden we were pulled away from what was the norm for us into a whole new life. But yet after having gone to Switzerland for the opening and going up in the mountains and and doing um, skiing with with uh, Uli Prager and learning all about a whole new culture, it was a it was an eye opener, especially for me, because um, I could see what Dad was seeing that there was a need to bring a new culture of food and restaurants and fast food and a walk in sit and leave environment to Europe. And um, he he always talked about Wimpy's. It was out of Paris and um, just all the different ways that they were starting to embrace this new way of eating during the day, which was so different than what they were used to. So, you know, I, I even was so taken. We went to five countries and we met a lot of interesting people like the Steigenbergers in Frankfurt who actually started the reservation system. And we were in Denmark, and I had my first escargot in yeah. Mermaid. But All right, Susan. I, well, let's let's bring it back to the smacks in Kansas City for the listeners that uh, yeah. that enjoyed smacks back then. So when – so your dad ran it, helped run that all the way through 61. When did Smacky the Seal come into play? Well, that was Uncle Ted's brilliant idea. And I think there was a man named Bill Witcher – who had an ad agency, and I might be wrong about that, uh, but he's the one that brought in a whole new feeling and put Uncle Ted on TV, and they started doing a lot of um, things to uh, engender um, and embrace the the little leagues and all the different things going around Kansas City. And I remember the ads I would see, and there was one that said, a big billboard that said soccer, S-O-C-C-E-R, then smacker. And it would show a guy <laughs> smacking a woman in the mouth. Oh, no. It, 
Well, you'd never see that now, but yeah. it was very, very clever at the time. And uh, so I have some of those images I'd be happy to share sure. online that were just amazing. And, and Smacks really started having its own journey. And Uncle Ted did a lot of repackaging. And I know that that really helped Smacks get to a new place. And the commissary certainly was the foundation for a lot of that. And it was a wonderful run. And I, I know that in 1983, because of high interest rates and, and people were coming into this space and, you know, depleting the energy of smack sales. And, and, and again, the uh, Llewellyn's can share a lot of this because I wasn't there. I mean, I left in the 1961 right. and what happened after that was, yeah. I don't I, know. I think I want to talk to us. So I, I visited with a Kim Llewellyn. Oh, and, great. Yeah, and, and she, uh, she told me she still has the, the original uh, smacky, the seal. She has that. I, I mean, she does. And, you know, I, I gave a lot of the Smacks and Allen's information to the Johnson County um, Museum. Um, Museum. Sure. So a lot of what I had is over there. And uh, I still have a lot of pictures that, that Dad kept. And, you know, I was I, the Allen's and the beginning of Smacks days is really where I was. But I, I also know that. In 1955, uh, before Ray Kroc got involved, we um, the McDonald's approached Smacks and Allen. Okay, well, well, Susan, hold on just a second. Um, I need to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to hear the story about McDonald's because that was actually going to be my next question. Oh, great. Okay, so okay. just hold, hold on for just about a minute on there. Okay. Sure. For the listeners out there, if you have any questions um, or have a story you want to bring up or share with with Susan about the original SPACs, especially for the early years before 61 when um, her father sold that. Give us a call at 913-586-7798 or text in your question. If you have a question for the later years in the 60s or 70s or 80s, save that. I'm going to see if I can uh, maybe get Cam or one of the other Llewellyns that were involved with uh, SMACs. I'll get them on the show so we can share that with them. Now, for the rest of the listeners, if you enjoy this program, be sure to follow Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. Number one is to sign up for our email newsletter at makethemsmile.com. And number two is to follow us on Facebook. I have about 15,000 followers there, and I share a lot of information on the new goings-on or if I have questions or if I need some assistance for the show. Because remember, this is one hour of airtime that I personally purchase, and I do not have advertising on here, because I just want to share the stories and, and get this information out and have these fun conversations with you. So if you like this show and want it to continue to be possible, just give us a support at best regards. If you come out to the bakery, our number one lunch item by far is the pastrami sandwich. And if you want to see why, just go to makethemsmile.com. You can see what the sandwich looks like and see why everybody's following it. Then on the bakery side, the top two sellers are easily our sugar cookies, our decorated sugar cookies. They're like big, thick, soft shortbread cookies that we have a team of artists that decorate. We're selling, let's see, today we will sell a lot of Taylor Swift cookies for the people going to the concert movie. And we're doing a lot of Chiefs and a lot of fall, and we're gearing up for the Halloween season, which, believe it or not, that kicks off the sugar cookie season in our business. And then the cannolis, I started those about three weeks ago at, because of a challenge from Jasper Mirable. So if you like cannolis, come give it a try. It's pretty good. We have the Chantilly cream, 
cannoli. Then also we're doing the chocolate French silk cannoli that we're selling today as well. So give us a give us a call and come out to see us. I'd love to hear some stories and things like that. All right, Susan, are you still there? I'm still here. All right, so so the, McDonald's gets all the headlines, but you know there's a lot to it from them to get from one location to the huge international chain they are. Where did McDonald's and Smacks cross paths? Well, they crossed paths in Kansas City, and um, I remember that it was a very friendly environment. They uh, really wanted to, they wanted Smacks and Allen's to um, become part of McDonald's uh, with the stipulation that they would become McDonald's. And, of course, all the the work that had been done up to that point was just, just absolutely not going to happen. I remember dad said he worked three years without a day off and I'm sure grandfather did too. But after the first month, they, they actually took in $200 each and that was at Allen's. So they worked really, really hard to get snacks to and Allen's where it eventually became. And he, he basically turned it down and he said, you know, I've got our own. I don't want to be eaten up by a big company, and I think we just need to move forward, and they did. So I just um, read uh, one uh, one place where um, my cousin Lynn did an interview, and apparently they they had the idea of uh, another, you know, 30 to 70 locations nationwide. So they They were really going to explode. And that's where, you know, I think talking to them and finding out what they did at that point would be very helpful for people and listeners for the Smack story. Yeah, so, so when you sat down and interviewed your dad, which I, I admire, I'm glad you did that, did he yeah. ever have any regrets about not selling to them? Um, I, I think because he was who he was and very visionary, he did. But yet he, he he liked doing his own thing. He he saw where he felt it could go, and the the Switzerland experience and the Hasty Houses, which it took eight years to build another twenty eight restaurants, and all through the Midwest and Phoenix uh, and Menlo Park in California. Um, I have a list of all the Hasty Houses that. He created in Denver and Nevada, Tucson. I mean, I, when I found all this, and I'm glad I'm doing this because it 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 put me back into the files of all the legacy of Smacks and Allens, and I'm finding things I can't believe my father wrote down. And you know, he did it with encouragement that if you don't write it down, it won't get passed down. And I think all our family would love to to have some of this information. So that's. Again, another positive thing about being able to bring all this out. But what, there's one real reason about why, what motivates people and what makes them do what they feel they need to do. And all of it stemmed from his, his upbringing and his mother's incredible drive, uh, acquiring over 225 properties in Springfield, Ohio, from 1916 to 1936, before she was uh, killed in a, an accident on her way to the Texas Centennial. My mother was, my grandmother was a real workaholic, and my father was a real workaholic. And he just couldn't stop. He had 
he had things he needed to do and things he wanted to do and his his value and belief system was work, work, work. Let's keep going. Let's keep coming up with new ideas. Let's try and find a way to make this better than it is. And I, I find that in myself. I'm a lot like he, he was. And um, I followed him out to California. And I, I really listened to a lot of the stories my entire life. I've been here 50 years now and created my own company and my own business and. Um, you know, I had the same kind of drive that he had and, and it took us away from, it took dad away from being, you know, involved with the family. After we left, you know, I had to make an appointment to see him at 16 because he was so busy, but that was his drive. And his mother was the same way. He, he felt like he was raised by a lot of the other mothers in the community because his mother was never there. She was out checking all their properties and yeah well susan you know what's interesting about this when i when i bring different guests on the show it often takes a turn that none of us actually expected it to go and so right. in doing this i've talked about some restaurants and some other businesses and things and it's what i've what i what started off i thought was going to be a series of questions about shows and people talk about meeting their 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 husband or their wife there when they were teenagers or people that worked there What's fascinating to me is that that he wasn't just a restaurateur, but he was a visionary that changes yeah. th- that changed a lot of things. Changed a lot of things. And my uncle Ted said to me, he pulled me to the side. I would go visit them in Palm Desert, and we talked about a lot about Dad and and his vision. And it wasn't the same vision that Grandfather had. And Uncle Ted was, you know, kind of there as the mediator, I think. But he admired sure. what Dad. And the fact that he wanted to be bigger and better and grow and grow and grow. And, you know, that was that paradigm shift, as I said earlier, that really kind of split the family apart. And, yes, Dad really split our families apart by making the decision to move on. But I think something that was so important to him. All right. Well, hold hold on a second, Susan. So it's for the listeners out there that this is taking a different turn. So I'll do another show a little bit later to to get the story about your Uncle Ted's side of oh, that sure. because I think they were both visionaries, just like Gilbert Robinson. There were two people that really pulled that together. Now, yeah. uh, Susan, um, hopefully you can hear this. Rocco, is she going to be able to hear this? All right, so I have a caller on line one. Jim, are you there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, 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 Susan, can you hear Ted? Can you hear Jim? Sure. Okay. Jim, uh, <laughs> Jim go ahead. You're on the air. Susan, I'm just sitting here listening, and everything you said is true. You documented it. And I want to say, Billy, your papa, was a visionary, and he's the guy that coined the phrase, if you take one idea in the restaurant business, it's stealing. But if you take 10, it's research. And your dad researched a lot of places and came up with those tremendous ideas. He and my father used to sit up at night coming up with restaurant ideas together. And mm-hmm. uh, we were in the other, other end of the business, and you all were in the hamburger business. And I'll yeah. tell you what, Smacks and Allen's, Hasty House, all of them were tremendous operations, visionary all the way. And yeah. uh, it's a shame they're not still here in the same way with a lot of other restaurants, even the ones that we have, but everything runs its course. Yes, it surely did. And, Jimmy, thank you so much for for bringing all that out because it wasn't about anything except a person's 
values and beliefs and ideas and vision. And that's really, really what happened with Smacks and Allen's. Um, it, it kept going, but Dad had to keep going with what he felt was in his heart and soul. That's right. And for a while, Wayne and Billy and Ted were a team, just like the Eddie brothers were a team. And, you know, everything changes. Life changes. But what they created, people remember and loved. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely loved. And it's so much fun to hear stories of people who worked there or their father worked there or mother and they would go there after school and all the camaraderie that happened and the teletrace service with Sandra and bringing all her friends from Shawnee Mission East. And I mean, it, there were so many wonderful parts about it. It was such a wonderful life, really and truly. Terrific. Well, I know there's other callers. I hope to see you soon. And, uh, Robert, keep the good work up with this show. It's tremendous. Well, Jim, you're fantastic. I I can't thank you enough for bringing this to my attention and pushing me to do this because this is I, – I the listeners, I have so much admiration for these people that – that had the vision to, to get out of the lane that everybody else was driving in and say, I can do this better. I mean, that that's yeah. really what makes this country so amazing is that. That's America. That's the American dream. W- without a doubt. And, so. and, I, and I'd like to tell one really special story that was a part of the Eddie family that really put me in a more philanthropy mode in my later years. Um, they were good friends with Danny Thomas, and with having Eddie's downtown at 13th and Baltimore, they had some fantastic entertainers uh, that I, I got to see on, on Saturdays when they had their matinee, and it really brought me into music and theater, and I ended up working at Tiffany's Attic years later and singing, and I had a singing career for many years, but going back to the story, um, Danny Thomas had the vision for creating St. Jude, and the first party and fundraiser was held at our home at 63rd and Wananga for St. Jude two years before it was even built. We were the first fundraisers for St. Jude Hospital. And yeah, I remember that well. Yeah, and I, 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 we set up our, our basement into a gambling casino. It was a finished basement. <laughs> And it was raining that day, Jimmy, if you'll remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and we were worried people weren't going to come, but they came out of the woodwork. And I I have to tell you, I won $7 in nickels in the <laughs> nickel in the slot machine. And I held out my skirt, and I let it all fall in my skirt. And I said, this is all going to St. Jude. I thought oh. I was a millionaire. That was the whole that, point of the, the casino, to raise money. It was. And so that was the beginning of my whole giving back to to uh, tell the story about. What year do you think that was? 1960, I believe, 59 or 60. 60 or 61, because yeah. I remember Danny was in town, and uh, he yeah. came down to the 13th, and he didn't do an act, but he got was introduced by uh, Tony DePardo and mm-hmm. one of the shows and so forth. But golly, golly, what great memories. Well, that is, okay. Uh, Jim, I'm going to have to let you go. This yeah. is like a lot of things that that you get involved with, uh, that yeah, you he, get me involved in, Jim. This I think this deserves another another uh, airtime in the future when we bring you in and see if we can get some more stories going. Jim, Bless thank you for calling. Love you. See you soon. Bye-bye. All right, love you. Bye. Yeah.
Jimmy, thank you so much. And I just want you to know that I called his parents, Aunt Julia and Uncle Ned. They were my second parents. And, uh, you know, I'd stay with them when I came to Kansas City. And I got grounded when we went out too late, Sandra and I. And, (laughs) I mean, she was like, where have you girls been? I mean, it was just... Well, Susan, um, anytime I have Jim on, I have no idea what's going to happen or where it's going to (laughs) go. The the first time he was on my show, we were talking about Eddie's Lofenstein. And Marilyn yep. May called in. Oh, my God. And she called Nicholas. in, and I lost control of the show for about 30 minutes, <laughs> and I finally had to cut her off because my, my show ends, at, you know, it, and it was going to end, so I had to do that. So, But, uh, okay, um, I have another caller on line two. Rocco, let's go to line two. S- Sandra, are you there? I'm here. All right, who are you, and oh, why are you calling? I'm, I'm the teletray operator. <laughs> <laughs> she was Hi, at Susan. She was 16. Hi, Sandra. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Oh, thank you. Thank you for calling in. What That's a great okay. time. So, I know. It'd be great. I'm glad that you're telling all of the history. Okay, Sandra, yeah. so for the, the all of us listeners and, and I, who are you and what did you do there? Uh, I'm, well, I'm Jim Eddie's sister. I met you the other day. Okay. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. Anyway, I uh, I was a talent. I in high school. I had enough. I had enough. Am I supposed to keep talking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, we're listening. Okay. Anyway, I had enough credits that I didn't have to go full time my senior year. So Billy, Susan's father, got me a job at the one on State Line. The Allens is a teletray operator. I had a ball, all my friends would come in, and I'd be talking to them, and I would be doing my job. <laughs> so, I mean, it was hysterical. But we go back, our families, way, way back. So Susan's yeah. a good one. Well, Sondra was our babysitter, and we became oh. best friends and still are to this day. As a matter of fact, we decided we're going to be casket buddies. <laughs> we want to be buried together. <laughs> Susan. All right, that's probably more detail than we all need to have. That's, but that's exactly right. But, but it definitely paints a picture of how close you two are. I mean, it, yeah. it is hard to find a good babysitter. Yeah, I was a good babysitter. That's for sure. I took care of those six little brats. <laughs> well, I will tell you that Sandra and her parents came out for my surprise 70th birthday for, uh, for my father, and um, they hid behind the wall and told their stories, and Dad thought it was on a cassette recorder and just about passed out when they walked around, and they were there. So it was a fantastic, it was great. wonderful that's when, experience. That, that's when your bird uh, sat I had on a Dad's head and went to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sandra, thank you for calling in. You're welcome. I'll, I'll, Susan, I'll ta- take care. All right. Thank you, Sandra. All right. All right. Bye. So, so, so Sandra. All right. Yeah. So I'll have to talk to Jim, see if we're allowed to, um, if he uh, has any interest in bringing Sandra in next time to, to share some family stories. Oh, my goodness. You will, you will love them. They're fabulous. Oh. Uh, Jim's been on my show, I think, three times already. Yeah. I'm already playing oh. the next one. All right, Susan, we're running out of time. We, we still have a few minutes left, but um, let me ask you, so... Was the the kids' meal or your version of the kids' meal was that created while you're while he was still there or after? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Um, 
Allen's had their own kids' meal, and it was called the Fire Engine. And they had a um, a hamburger and French fries and a Coke. And it was in the shape of a, a cardboard box of a fire engine. And kids would eat their meal, and then they'd start the fire engine. And so there, there's a that was the beginning of maybe the Happy Meal. And then Uncle Ted came out with an, another wonderful idea. And, again, that, that would be a, at another time. But I, in closing, I have to tell you one incredible um, Eddie Fielder story. Dad had a fire engine that he bought, and he had it at the restaurants. And it would go around to the different ones. And one night he decided to go down with some of his employees, uh, old friends that were in big uh, jobs at the, at the commissary, and they were driving down to 13th and Baltimore, and it didn't have brakes, so about every 20 feet they had to kind of turn the wheel and slow it down. They all had fire engine garb on, and when they finally got there, they all went in with the hatchets and the fire engine garb, and they cleared Eddie's out, and I thought Uncle Ned was going to have an absolute heart attack. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was one of the stories that Jimmy should tell because... I mean, who would have done something like that? Well, my dad did, and he had a great sense of humor, and he was a character, just one incredible character that never, never was a dull moment. Well, Susan, with a lot of family businesses, the family gets involved. Did you have any say or input on creating any of the meals or sandwiches? Like, are no, you going to claim credit? Really, did you create I, the smackaroo or something? No, no, that the smackaroo. Um, I think. I don't remember who did that. I think it was they had the Hickory Burger and, and later on, but Smacky, the seal of approval, was clearly uh, on the Llewellyn side and, and Jones side, and uh, they can share a lot of that. But Smacks was was just the most amazing experience that left. That but Allen's alongside of it was when I was there and young, and I saw the whole thing happening and. It's just memories that I'll never forget, and I had no idea that it would give us so much joy and togetherness as a family, but it did. Yeah. So uh, tell us what the um, the Smacks Fixin' Table was. Oh, you know, I, I read something about that where they could create their own hamburger, and my cousin Lynn um, was interviewed, and I'm trying to figure out where that was. Um I really don't have it right in front well, of me. Right. But you she, don't need to look that up. Yeah, she's the one that would really be able. Oh, let's see. They well, Allen's offered what we call the thin hamburger, and it came from Gordon Montgomery, who owned um, Winstead's. He and Dad collaborated. The burgers were modeled after the success of Winstead's, and when they opened the Zilberkugels in Switzerland, Gordon Montgomery, who brought all of his meats from uh, um, my grandfather, Wayne Jones. Um, that's when they started throwing in soy and, and kidney suet, and then they would smash them down really thin, and they created recipes with special sauces and things, and that was a collaboration with Winstead's. As a matter of fact, my friend Bob Hines just gave me Several years ago, we went to fourth grade together, and he just gave me a Winstead's mug. I'm looking at it right now in my kitchen. <laughs> we were all intertwined. And, and by the way, Bill Gilbert, actually, um, he worked in 
one of the Kansas Allens as the manager. I just sure. found that. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he worked in Allens and in Smacks. So, right. that, so that's where all that began. So real quick, so I, I tried to – we had a text line. I've got maybe 40 or 50 texts in during line. It's, sometimes oh, really? I, sometimes I think we should just disconnect it. But it's um, – so one of, one of the callers here said uh, – was upset because I wasn't born in the 1940s. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> but – but so when when did the la- when did they f- the last smacks finally close? Do you think um, just roughly? What I have here was 1983, and it was because of the um, the rise in interest rates and sure. the expansions and trying to hold it all together. Uh, I wasn't there. I guess that's a Llewellyn question. Well, well, uh, you know, I read one. Uh, I think a news report or a story I saw it said that interest rates and the McDonald's Happy Meal is what finally uh, killed off smacks. Yeah, and you know what? I think the Happy Meal was invented by Smacks with Uncle Ted, and they stole the idea. Who know? Who knows the well, real truth? Well, but. well, you know that the ad agency that created that for McDonald's is here yes. in Kansas City, right? And that isn't that Bill Witcher and I'll, I'm not going to say who it was. Oh, okay. It was another name. I read about that too. Yeah. It was wonderful to pull that in, and for Uncle Ted to to be on television and put a face to smacks. It was a great idea. Well, you know, it's like Jim, Ed, uh, what was the line from Jim Eddie? If you take one idea, it's stealing, but if you take 10, it's called research. That's right. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I mean, your family, you know, they didn't, it's not like they invented something that ha- did not exist. I mean, creating a business in a restaurant is a little bit of an art form as well. All right, Susan, oh, I'm going to have sure. to let you go. We'll come on the show. Thank you very much for your generous time. Thank you for having me, Robert, truly. All right. I appreciate fun. that. I'm, we'll be talking again soon. Okie doke. Right. Thank you so much. All right, for the listeners out there, be sure to come by and see us at Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. We're at 119th and Glenwood in Overland Park. For those of you that don't like talking about old things, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be, I have quite a variety of different things coming up. Next week, I'm going to have open calls and a contest. That'll be involved. That'll involve a wonderful meal for somebody out there. So thank you, Rocco. Great show today. And thank you for the listeners. Catch you next week. This concludes this broadcast of Kansas City Food Memories.